the rugged desert outside Yuma, Arizona, this is Outpost Outspoken. Outpost Outspoken is the official podcast of U.S. Army Yuma Proving Ground, which conducts natural environment testing of military equipment in Arizona, Alaska, and the tropics. Hello, I'm your host for this segment, Anna Henderson. Imagine the scene in a movie where a bomb is about to explode when an explosive ordnance disposal trained expert shows up to safely defuse it. The Trax Ammunition Recovery Section, better known as DEMO, performs similar work and more to support the Yuma Test Center mission at Yuma Proving Ground. Ammunition Recovery Supervisor Ben Wallace joins me to tell me more about DEMO. Welcome, Ben. Thank you, Anna. I appreciate it. There are many fascinating aspects about this section, but one of those is that all of the members are veterans. Yes, every single member of our DEMO team was a part of the military, and they all went through EOD school. I was reminded after the article that some of them went through Eglin and some of them went up in Indian Head, which was another school. Um, It closed down, and and some of the newer veterans have all gone through Eglin Air Force Base in Florida. Well, one, I'm glad to hear that they read the articles (laughs) in the outpost. And two, it's great that they take pride in where they went to school, and they want to make sure that it's reflected. So joint service. Yes, joint service. Any competition between them? Any oh. of them team up because they were both Marines or anything like that? We do have some competition. It's it's always friendly because we all we've all been through the same schooling, the same experiences. Some are Marines, some are Army. I do have an Air Force tech and a Navy tech, but the majority of us are, are Marines and Army. Okay, so well represented, but there's a little a little heavy on the Marine side. <laughs> yes. Okay, so I gave the movie scenario during the opening, but can you explain the main purpose of demo at YTC? The main purpose of of demo at YTC is to help provide safe testing. We all know that YTC tests different material for the the military, ammunition, equipment, vehicles. We help get the support personnel out to the impact so they can set up their test instrumentation. And then we also help recover the ammunition if that's what's under test and bring it back so that the customers can get the, the required data. Providing that support is done in about a couple different steps or procedures. So the clearing, escorting, recovery, and demil, and we'll, demil, and we'll talk about all of those right now. I do want to remind our listeners that while YTC meticulously, meticulously <laughs> maps impact areas and safety fans, YTC first started as a desert training center under Major General George Patton. So UXO is believed to still be littered throughout the area. Absolutely. So explain to me about like about the clearing and also this recovery. Like, how do you make an impact zone safe? We can never make it truly safe. That's like you said, patent fired all over. And then even us as YTC or, or the Desert Test Center or, or any of the other iterations we've been through through the many decades of testing out here, we have fired all over. And so there is ordinance or ordinance residue in almost anywhere that you can or will go on YPG. What we try to do is, is if people find it or if any of our listeners find anything, they call range control or the uh, safety office or security. And then we will receive a call and we'll go out there and we'll try to find it and and get rid of it. Then there's also the testing, right? That's where we're going to find most of the ordinances out on the impact area. And when the test officers give us the information, hey, here's where we want to shoot. Maybe here's a target position or gun position. We're going to go out there and we're going to walk the area and Look for ordinance to make sure that it's clear. If it is contaminated, we're going to go out and do a sweep, 
If we can move the ordinance, we'll move it. If we can't, we'll just blow it up where it's at. And then we'll also try to make it easier for them to access. We've got some equipment to clear out some of the impact craters and flatten those out and and make it a nice, safer working environment for all all people involved. Um, You had an interesting fact in the outpost about the amount of items that were recovered in the last decade. Can you tell me that number? 19,000. So we have safely recovered over 19,000 test items since, uh, well, in the last decade. So I've been the supervisor for the ammunition recovery section for about nine years. So obviously, you know, that's that's what I can keep track of. And where we're at is about 19,000. And and there's some other bigger numbers from disassembly and and demilitarization, but that's, that's a, I'm pretty proud of that number. That's ammo that's been fired, sent down range, and then through the use of radar and observers and KTMs, that we were able to go use numbers or triangulation from those sections to find those impacts, dig up dig up the rounds or recover the rounds and bring them back. Right. As we talked about the impact zones, and that's, again, where the ammunition would impact, mm-hmm. where it hits. Mm-hmm. So obviously you have a general area, but if you've ever been out to the desert, I mean, it is, it is tough to find anything in the desert. Yes. So you're looking for a 155 millimeter or, you know, d- depending on what we're testing, something that's four to six inches around, you know, let's, let's, let's say that. Um, some of them are the size of a Coke can and you're looking for a hole in the ground in the desert. <laughs> so often, you know, we, we find critter holes. Is it a snake hole? Is it a badger hole? So we get to, well, my guys have one of the best jobs in the world. That's the reality of it. When they're out looking for these, they're on different off-road vehicles. Um, sometimes they're in their GSA vehicles, but we have ATVs and side-by-sides, and those are um, used to help them just cover the ground and, and find this hole. And once we find it, that's when they get to play, I mean, work. <laughs> work, wear, work, work, work. <laughs> with some heavy equipment. And, and we've got, we have backhoes and excavators and bobcats that they can use to dig those bullets out of the ground. And these are all modified. And I want you to tell me about the modifications you've made to them. Well, not all of them, but some of them are modified. I want you to tell me about those. And then I want us to talk about these recovery robots too, because I always find those so fascinating. So there's different things that we've done and it all depends on our purpose, right? Everything is purpose built for us, whether it's digging something out of the ground or if it's picking it up and, and carrying it off. One of the greatest developments that's going on right now is compute power is getting cheaper, which means it's easier to use electronics. Where in the past, YPG has taken a normal backhoe and they had to add on to it different parts and components for controlling the hydraulics. And once they did that, we were able to use different radios and and, and antennas and cameras to set up a remote backhoe, but it was expensive and it was, it was hard to do. Now, we can go down to Bingham and purchase a commercial off-the-shelf system that just plugs right into our Bobcats. Plugs in, takes five minutes to set up, and then we have a Bobcat that's completely remote control or a skid steer um, that's completely remote control. And we can still operate it normally. So we can go back and forth. It allows us to use equipment that we can get maintained easily and is readily available and be able to use it specifically for recovering hazardous ordnance. Some of the other equipment that we've modified for use out here is there's an APC, an armored personnel carrier, 
that we took the back door off of it. And we had a new back door built that's armored steel. And then we have a window with ballistic polycarbonate shielding. And we have a stick that goes out the back of it. And, and there's some other armor protection that we have in there. I'm not going to bore anyone with that. <laughs> I'm just trying to get a visual of this thing. It sounds crazy looking. <laughs> <laughs> it's this giant white tracked vehicle, right? And there's a window in the back and we use this for testing Adam's munitions and Ram's mines. And those are artillery deployed munitions and they're scatterable. And so the artillery round go, flies over the intended impact. It ejects them over the field, and then we go out there. So we'll go out there, and we take this APC, and we back it up to it. And so we're at this point five to ten feet away, depending on what it is. And for the Adams mines, we take that stick, and then we beat the, beat the mine with it until it detonates. Oh, man. <laughs> You could like bet, okay, how many hits is it going to take to... <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and the first time you do that, you're like, this this is not normal. Right. This doesn't sound right or seem right or look right. It's against I, every rule book. <laughs> this, this is against everything I've ever been taught, everything I ever wanted to do. <laughs> but, you know, maybe maybe it's a testament to the, the quality of individuals that we have here in our ammo recovery section. But after that first one goes off, it, it's just, oh, man, that was really cool. There's the next one. Let's go. Let's <laughs> yeah. let's go do the next who, one. Who gets that one? <laughs> <laughs> Takes a lot of bravery, a lot of skill, a lot of guts, a little bit of insanity to get this done. <laughs> Part of the process is also the recovery, which you were talking about it a little bit. But I think when I first imagined it, I imagined, well, why would they recover it? They shot it. It went as far as it needed to do. Like, go. Like, what more do you need to see? Explain why the recovery. Recovery of these test items is important because... You don't know what is going to happen to the the component or the projectile or the fuse on gun launch. That's that's one of those big key parts. When a gun fires, you have what's called setback, and that's the forces of the the propellant, you know, expanding and pushing that bullet down the barrel. And that's a lot of force being imparted on the different parts of the fuse. When I talk about the fuse, that's the the brain to the projectile on what we call, we'll, we'll call them dumb projectiles. You know, it, it doesn't guide. We shoot it out of the gun and it follows physics and goes downrange. The fuse is what tells it when to function, whether um, that's on impact with the ground or certain distance off the ground or, or whatnot. But in olden days, in the olden days. And in the, in the 90s. Days. Are we talking about the 90s here? <laughs> in the 90s. So, you know, there, there used to be burning arrows and, and, and then we get to clockwork and, and, and now we're up to electronics. But so you have different mechanical components in these fuses and there's going to be different things that happen to them. Are they going to squish? Are they going to bind? And then same with electronics. Can the electronics handle the pressures that are that are going on? And so they, they fire them. Now they want to look at them because you can't just go to a a, um, a complete high explosive round right away and expect it to work. Sometimes we attempt it, but you you can't. It, it just, there's going to be problems. And when you go straight to a high explosive round, we don't know whether or not it's safe for us to recover. So that means you have to use different levels of builds. You know, you might have, or you, you iterate. You might have your first iteration that's completely inert and it has the proper mechanical components and the masses. And then the next iteration might have some moving parts in it and small amounts of explosives. 
And then the next iteration might be a little bit more all the way up to the point that you get to the high explosive one. And by starting at these lower levels, that allows us to look at the different technical drawings, work with the test officers, work with the customers, and figure out safe ways for us to go recover it, whether it's waiting a certain amount of time or um, maybe we can't. Maybe it's a hazardous stud, what we call a hazardous stud or hazardous munition. And that's when we use the robots because... I will risk a robot before I'll risk one of my people any day. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So um, that's where the remote bobcat comes in, the remote backhoe. And so the, the backhoe will dig it up or the bobcat if it's it's shallow enough. And then I have these other robots that, that you may be familiar with and that you're talking about. And that's the um, – right now we're, we're using Remotech Andros robots. Once I get the munition to the surface, they can usually go and pick those up and carry them. And you had mentioned before for the article that it just depends on the size and the need and all that because you can't have a little tiny robot handling a gigantic projectiles. You were talking about the inside of the munition and made me think of the very cool ordnance library that you have. (laughs) And I've seen the full projectiles. They're uh, obviously all inert. But then you have some that are like sliced in half so you can see the inside. How do you use those to help your team? This library is full of ordnance items that were fired and recovered here at Yuma Proving Ground. Whether or not this is a new item or uh, an old 90s. <laughs> an a old, legacy item. A legacy <laughs> item, right? So, but I mean, we, we have stuff all the way back to Civil War era cannonballs. Wow. Now, they weren't fired here during the Civil War. It was a History Channel documentary. Then they were testing Spanish. Um, actually, so this would be... Spanish-American War, not Civil War. I apologize. So Spanish cannonball versus the the, the Alamo or the Texas cannonball. And, and so th- those even those were fired out here. Having these items allows our people to go get their hands on them. Uh, we can tear them apart. We can look at them. And that's you talked about the cutaways. The cutaways help us identify the internal components so that once we've done the recovery side of our job and we're working with a high explosive around, it's not the first time my people are getting their hands on them as they're disassembling them. Because before we can give them over to a customer, we have to make sure that they're safe. And that means we're disassembling. We're removing the explosive components. And we're doing it in a manner that it doesn't degrade or or, um, destroy the things that the customer needs to see, whether or not that's um, material parts or electronic chips. Now, the last step of the process is mm-hmm. the demilitarization. And you think you throw them on a pile, blow them all up, but that's not actually, you have a very particular procedure for that as well. So we have several different ways of doing demilitarization. I think what most people are familiar with and what you're talking about is it occurs at our munitions treatment facility, commonly called the demo site, the new demo site, the mm-hmm. MTF, OBOD, <laughs> So it's got several different stuff up, (laughs) right? It's where we go blow stuff up. We burn stuff there too, you know? So, so we've got open, open burn, open debt. That's what OBOD stands for. And it is a permitted site, which means that it's controlled by the Arizona department of environmental quality or ADEQ. And so there's certain rules and requirements. There's, um, that's where we'll take any excess munitions and we'll take them over there and we'll destroy them. We can only, we can only destroy items that are, deemed unsafe or excess here at YPG. Uh, Another thing that's probably less familiar for people is we've got what's called the R3 yard or the uh, range residue recycling yard. And that's a program through the army that where we take 
and we mechanically demill or mechanically destroy ordnance residue. We try to break it down so that's not recognizable as a munitions list item or a piece of ordnance. We're turning it into scrap. And at that point, it can just be sent out for recycling. Ben, thank you so much for your time, not only today, but thank you for your team that served our country and that continues to serve our country with the work they do at the demo section. Thank you, Anna. I appreciate the opportunity to come here and represent them today. This has been Outpost Outspoken. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you next time from the Army's busiest test center.